Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Dante Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast, coming to you today for another interview episode. Now, first ever taste of artistic gymnastics. We've done trampolining, we've done rhythmic gymnastics. Now it's time to get into artistic gymnastics as we speak with Tokyo Olympian Emily Whitehead from Australia. Great chat here with Emily, learning a little bit more about the sport sport getting into it what's it like being in a sport at such a young age and then going to big competitions around australia and around the world we find out how close she was to actually competing in rio and how the injury that prevented her from going to rio actually helped her to further success moving forward there's some great chat here about her time at the comp games in 2018 and just how close she actually was to giving up the sport after the whole COVID situation hit the athletes last year. It's a fascinating insight into the mind of an athlete and how that uh, really nearly stopped her from being a Tokyo Olympian. Without further ado, here is our chat with Tokyo 2020 Olympian in the sport of artistic gymnastics, Emily Whitehead. excited for our next guest here on Off the Podium, our first athlete from the sport of artistic gymnastics. We've covered trampoline, we've covered rhythmic, now it's on to artistic, and this is the one that I'm very much excited for because it's a sport which, if I was to try anything at the Olympics, this would probably be very much near the bottom, just for the pure fact is that I can barely even take a step, let alone do any form of flips or rolls or anything along those lines. She is a two-time Commonwealth Games bronze medalist and has just recently returned from Tokyo for her first ever Olympic Games. And I'm so excited to learn about her experiences and her career in the sport. Please welcome to the show, Emily Whitehead. Emily, first of all, welcome off the podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to talk about gymnastics. As I said, we've covered rhythmic, we've covered trampoline, we're into the real gymnastics now, aren't we, Emily? Artistic, that's where it's at, right? Definitely. <laughs> Which I'm I'm fascinated to think it's taken us this long to get someone on from artistic gymnastics because it's obviously one of the, the key events at the Olympic Games. Everybody loves watching gymnastics, uh, sort of the, the skills and the, the talent involved. It, was this always a dream as soon as you started gymnastics that this was what you wanted to do, go to an Olympic Games? Um, when I very first started, it was just a lot of fun and I loved being able to like flip around. Um, it wasn't until I was a little bit older, but not like I was eight when I started to really form that dream of going to the Olympics and yeah. Kind of go along those ways. And I believe your family was heavily involved in gymnastics. So sort of when you initially started going to gymnastics, was that kind of a lot of doing that because of the family or was there sort of a key moment you remember when you were younger going, hey, gymnastics, let's let's give this a try? 
Yeah, my older sister actually did gymnastics when I was younger, and so I wanted to follow in her footsteps. Um, and then I guess my brother and I just joined together, and it just took off from there. And and how did your brother go? Did your brother stick with it as well, or did he kind of after a while go, okay, no, this isn't for me, I'm going to try something else? Yeah, um, at his first competition, he had to wear a leotard, and that was that was it. After that, he's like, "No, I'm done." <laughs> the leotard's a deal breaker. <laughs> yeah. Did he go on to play other sports though? Like maybe wearing something a bit loose, more fitting? Is that kind of yeah? Then? He that did was... like footy, cricket, just like right. all the local type sports. Okay, then. Yeah, I don't see them wearing leotards in in cricket, no. or maybe one day, but not mm. not 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 quite yet. So, was there a particular sort of thing about gymnastics when you started when you were younger that that you enjoyed kind of was there an aspect about it that maybe if you were playing other sports as well that this was the one that made you sort of stick to gymnastics over any other sports you may have been playing yeah look I just loved the ability to like flip around I loved the freedom I feel like in gymnastics especially at the start like you do lots of like circuits so you have different stations and you just go around. So you got to keep moving where like in swimming, you did like one lap and then you had to wait down the end. So to me, I just loved being able to continue moving and, you know, keep learning. The thing that is so fascinating about gymnastics is just the variety of the different apparatuses and kind of everything that uh, you, you can do it and just the, the things that you're able to achieve in it. I, I mean, did you at a young age start favouring any particular apparatus that obviously led you on to kind of choosing these more in your, your senior career? Or is there a decision that sort of gets made by coaches going, okay, you're particularly good at beam at this age, so focus on that, floor, you know, things like that. Sort of how does that work when you first start in the sport? When you first start, it's like you're an all-rounder, so you have to – uh, train each apparatus you're always going to be better at one or two apparatus so I was when I was younger better at floor and vault um, bars I was just so weak that I wasn't the greatest at it and I struggled to learn new skills and then being for me when I was younger I was okay at it um, and then the older I got the more like I feel like each level you change what what you're best at um, so then it kind of went to a phase where I was really good at beam and vault and I struggled a little bit on floor just um, with like the leaps and stuff. And then bars, I just, I struggled with for a long time. And it wasn't until I think junior where my bars started to really pick up. And now I believe my bars and vault are probably my two stronger ones and beam is a bit and floor is a little bit weaker. I'm always intrigued by beam because that, looks terrifying emily i mean how wide is that beam uh 10 centimeters 10 centimeters that is that is ridiculous and the amount of skills and everything you do i mean do you, I, i'm guessing this is a dumb question but you wouldn't know how many times you would have fallen off that thing over the years i can't imagine it's uh, something that you keep track of <laughs> no you definitely don't keep track of but there is like one skill in my beam routine it's my acro series um and for as long as I did it. I just stacked on it like every day. Wow. Um, so I definitely have like a bit of a fear with that one. And it's something that like we've worked really hard to eliminate, I guess. But um, it just takes a lot of numbers and hard work to get over that fear. Which I can imagine too, you're saying focusing on the all around aspect. And obviously when you're very young, you're not 
hitting the gym five times a week and kind of, you know, doing what you're doing today. But the, the, the training and the physical aspect when you do hit the gym must be very unique when you're trying to, I guess, keep that all around aspect, but obviously focus. I imagine you're working more on, say, the, the upper body for for the bars and then for, for a beam, you're sort of working more on, on that balance aspect. So I can imagine your gym workouts are incredibly varied depending on, I guess, what you're performing on best at at that part in your career. Um, well, basically, it's pretty even all over. Bars and beam are two that we do twice a day. And then we alternate vault and floor between the training sessions just because they're such high impact on your legs and they're not, they're still difficult, but not as complex as bars and beam are. Which it's, I mean, the thing is with everything with the all around aspect of it too, it's just that mentality that you kind of, I can imagine have to really focus on when you're coming into those events too. I mean, working with sports psychologists, kind of uh, keeping the brain clear and everything along those lines too is is equally important, no doubt. As a physical trainer, do you have any sort of aspects to the mental side of the training that you do that maybe it kind of helps you a little bit closer to competitions, anything along those lines that you can share with us today? Yeah, so it, I guess it depends. Like in out of season, I try to really draw a line between the gym and my outside life just because I don't want to be constantly thinking about it. But um, in comp season, I'll often reflect on that training session um, and getting really close to the comps, I'll start to watch some routines that I've performed well in the last few weeks because we often will video stuff. And so for me, watching things back really helps me mentally just be more confident and remember that I have done all that hard work. How how many hours, Emily, are we talking training each week? Give it give us a give us a ballpark figure when you're sort of in peak training mode, maybe right close to an Olympic Games. How many hours uh, are you focused on all that training? Um, we'll do between twenty eight and thirty two hours a week. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. I can imagine then uh, rest day must be your favorite day of the week at that point. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So Sundays we have off like every week, um, which is fantastic. I love my Sundays. It's a good day to like just hit reset. Um, But then we coming closer to comps. I also train Wednesdays, but when we get closer to comps, sometimes that's also a rest day. What what is a rest day then for Emily? What 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 are you doing? Are you just sleeping in, watching Netflix, catching up with friends, just doing whatever the hell you want? Basically, I can imagine at that point. Yeah, look, um, for me, Sundays are I'll have like a slow morning. I'll enjoy a coffee. Um, I'll just spend a bit of time with the family, and then before lunch, we'll go. Um, do the standard food shop and kind of do all the washing, get ready for the next week. And then the afternoon we'll just chill out. That's like a typical Sunday. Um, Obviously it changes if I decide I want to go out or um, spend time with friends or whatever. But I I try to keep the Sundays like just as stress-free and just slow. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, it's a perfect day to have off then if all of a sudden on a Saturday you you knock off the training, you want to catch up some friends, go out maybe, you know, kind of do that sort of stuff because at least you can recover on the Sunday, right? Have a big Saturday night, sleep in, you know, so it's a perfect day to have off during the week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Works out that way. Now, you sort of, as you mentioned, get into it at eight and then start competing 
a little bit more further at the age of 11. The thing that always is fascinating to me about gymnastics as well is that you're obviously starting at a very young age and kind of hitting these big, big competitions, you know, extremely young, you know, 10, 11 years old. What is that like as sort of someone that age to be able to have to face competitions like this? Does it does it build you up better so that when you are 21 and you get to an Olympics, this is kind of just down pat, you, you're a veteran, you've been doing it for 10 years, or is it kind of a lot of pressure on somebody at that age to really hit your straps at a at a level when, you know, a lot of people are just out there uh, not competing at a major level like that sort of stuff. They're just worrying about school and friends and watching cartoons and things like that. Yeah, look, um, I think it can be both ways. I do think that if you have the right support network, um, competing at such a young age is just fun. And I think for me, that's what I had. I had fun the whole way through. Um, It wasn't really until like the higher levels where it started to become more stressful um, because I put the pressure on myself. I wanted to do well. I've been doing this for so long and stuff. But um, I guess the higher you get, the more nervous you get because you have bigger skills, but you've also mature enough to understand that you have done all the hard work so you kind of got to balance it out a bit but definitely having the right support at such a young age has helped me not have any issues competing as such. and I can imagine your sister obviously having done it as well she could be someone good to kind of you know look to and kind of help out I mean sort of how much of a, a help and an influence was your sister sort of through those early days that led you into further competition um, look, I think we both kind of started competitions around the same time. So we actually, from what I understand or could say, is we went through it better together. Um, she would come and watch my comps and support me and then tell me what a good job I did. And then I would watch her comps, tell her what a great job she did. We'd always try and find something that we really enjoyed from each other. I often really loved watching her floor just because she was so expressive. And so that's something like I've strived towards. And I can imagine though that sibling rivalry is quite strong. So it's kind of like all of a sudden at a competition, it's like, hey, you know, I, I won, you got second or vice versa. So kind of a bit of, you know, the sibling rivalry still existing along the way. Um, well, she's no longer, like she finished gymnastics quite a while ago, but I think for a long time it was, we were in different streams. So it was like she, even though she was older, she was, Um, in the national program I was the international program so I think for her mentally that was hard for me I never really took a step back and looked at it until like the last couple years and it is a hard one but I mean I'm so proud of what she achieved in gymnastics and she's taught me like so much throughout my career and supported me the whole way. Was there a point Emily those days when you are sort of you know, put on the international program, started working away at the rank set, you really thought this Olympic dream was possible? Can you can you remember sort of at what stage? And then did you set yourself a goal for, hey, I, I want to be in Rio, I want to be in Tokyo, sort of was there a moment, okay, this is real and I'm going to go to these games? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it was when I made my first junior national team. I think that's a big step in the right direction. Um, and making even my first overseas trip was just the best feeling and so I kind of realized how good that feels imagine how good it'll feel making a world's team com games olympics and so then I started to set those goals but I think um 
In 2016, I was a first year senior. So realistically, it's quite hard to um, be put on that team just because the experience isn't quite there. So realistically, I was like, it'd be great if I could, but I also know that this isn't the end goal. I want to, I want 2020. Um, but I think the important thing is not to overthink it. So I try to take it year by year and set smaller goals. But in the back of my mind, I still have that big goal. You were very close, though, to Rio. You mentioned making sort of uh, that team in 2016. You were meant to go to the Pacific Rim Championships and even the Olympic Test event. But a torn calf muscle kind of uh, pulled you out of that. I mean, besides the injury, I mean, just making those events being selected for an Olympic test event. I mean, I can imagine that that's massive boost for your confidence that you are sort of one step closer to an Olympic games. I mean, do you remember sort of those feelings when, when before the injury, when you were selected for those events? Yeah, look, I think cause I was so young, I didn't really um, acknowledge like the achievement that I had done. Um, for me, it was like, right, you've made this team. Okay. What's next? Like how, how, um, it was such like a high stress trip. So for me, I was just learning so much. I had never been on a senior trip. I'd never been in such a serious situation in my gymnastics career. So to me, my head was just a bit all over the place, trying to like soak in everything that I never fully realized, like what an achievement I like achieved until I think a year later when we were sitting down talking about like experiences and stuff. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like I, I made the um, test event team, which is huge. Um, so that was like quite an interesting trip, but I, I, even though it didn't work out the way it, it should have, I'm beyond grateful for it because I've really grown as a gymnast. Is there a peak age for a gymnast? Because obviously you're starting off very young you're 21 now, which, you know, you look at who you're competing against. I mean, there are people there, you know, who would have been 15, 16, what you would have been in Rio. But is there kind of an age that gymnasts work towards that is sort of like, this is this is where I'm at in terms of body, mentality, everything. This is my peak performance age right now in the sport. For a long time, it was like 16, 17, 18. Um, but now it's getting older. I think that it's like between your early to mid twenties is like when people are starting to really peak. I think if you have the right support system, you're able to go longer and enjoy it more. Like I feel like now I'm just getting started. Which is good to hear because was it Beijing? I think it was when there was all the controversy around the Chinese team and they were allegedly putting like 12 and 13 year olds in there. And it's kind of, it's, it's crazy to kind of watch a sport where you've got somebody so there. And it's also crazy to think that when you do, watch the Olympics and they'll be like, oh, there's there's a 20-year-old, she's a veteran of the sport. And you're thinking, wow, like this is such a crazy sport to think that at 20, you're basically like almost, I hear, I hear the words, a veteran of the sport. That's just a subtle way of a commentator going, yeah, you should be retiring soon. Uh, yeah. Probably time to hang out. And then you look at someone like Oksana, who was what, like 43, wasn't she in in Tokyo? So um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, we're, we're kind of getting past that point, whereas you're perceived as over the hill when you're like 19 or 20. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very glad it's such a good sport. And I think the older you get, the more you appreciate it and the more mature your training is. So it's just better. We, we just won't talk about the fact that there are 12 and 13-year-old skateboarders winning gold medals um, yeah, at, at the Olympics. That's a whole other kettle <laughs> yeah. of fish. 
tearing a calf muscle doesn't sound fun. Uh, obviously, it's a sport with lots of uh, you know unique and painful injuries. How 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 did you tear the calf muscle, and, and sort of how was the recovery from that? Um, I tore it like the day before competition um, on my beam dismount, which was devastating. I think um, no one really expected it, and so. I just, I, I don't know. It was, it was a rough one, but I think my body was just exhausted. It was my first senior trip. There was so much pressure. I think, like I said before, my head was a bit like over the place. So I feel like the recovery side of things, I didn't focus on as much. Um, so I think it was just like a mixture of things, but you know, recovery wise, it took, I basically arrived back in Australia on the Wednesday and I was back in the gym Thursday just doing as much upper body middle strength as I could um, so that once it had healed I was ready to go full like back to training and I was fit and ready to go. So that drive was still there then that you obviously go through such a painful injury you got disappointment of day before competition as you were saying but it's like right okay put it to the back of the mind let's do what I can in my recovery process here because my journey's not over right now. Yeah, um, I remember like for when I first found out about it, I had like a cry and I spoke to my coach and I was speaking to my coach after that. I realized this is just the beginning for me. So yes, this um, injury is unfortunate, but I still have like a whole career ahead. And so I wanted to like make the most of this situation. Which from that point on, though, the recovery, I mean, you, you went on to the best results of your career, basically, Emily, uh, you, you know, competing more overseas, 10th uh, overall in, in Canada at the La International Gym Nicks. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Good. All right. Okay. I just, I'm terrible at pronouncing it, so I have to, I have to clarify that. Um, silver at the World Cup in Melbourne and, of course, a couple of bronzes at the Commonwealth Games uh, on the Gold Coast. Uh, I mean... How is that period then to recover from a pretty significant injury to all of a sudden go, okay, did it take injuring myself maybe to make myself better? And here I am right now kind of uh, meddling on the world stage. Yeah, I mean, that injury like between those comps feels like so long ago that like you kind of forget about it. Um, it took me a while to build up the confidence and trust my calf before I started back, but Basically, once I had that trust, I was like full steam ahead, ready to go. I can imagine too. I mean, bronze medals at the Commonwealth Games in a in a home Commonwealth Games, amazing. But silver in a World Cup in your home state in Melbourne. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to rank the two achievements there, Emily. I can imagine they both hold very big significance for you. But I mean, d does one hold weight a little bit more than the other? Because maybe more family and friends were able to attend the World Cup, given that it was sort of uh, in Victoria. Yeah, um, look, to me, I think I went into that World Cup. It was my first World Cup. I didn't really know what to expect. I had just started playing around with two vaults. So for me, it was just I wanted to hit two of my new vaults. Um, and I did that. And I remember we went to the back and I was, like, putting my clothes on and my coach was, like, saying, you know, your first vault, like, it wasn't your best, but, like, you know, so we're kind of like talking about the technical side of things. And then um, I think we kind of just figured like, you know, comms done, let's go. And then they pulled me aside and we're like, no, like you need to get your uniform off. You, you, you got second. Wow. And so like that's a pretty special moment to me because it just goes to show like 
no matter what you achieve, like if you get a medal or not, it's your performance on that day. And so to me, that performance, it was a big step in my career as like performing two big vaults, but it was also like my first vault I wasn't happy with. So it kind of gave me that extra like drive to then spend the next few weeks before Com Games really focusing on those two vaults and making sure that I didn't make the same mistake. Um, so I think they're like equal, but I'd have to say my Commonwealth Games medals are definitely more special to me. It was such a unique, fun games. I, I was at those games too working and it was just the atmosphere and everything around the Gold Coast because Gold Coast is a fun place to be at the best of times, but add, you know, 80-odd nations of the world coming there to compete in all the different sports and everything like that. I mean, was that almost like a dress rehearsal to what you would then experience at the Olympics? Obviously, the Com Games are a little bit smaller than the Olympics, but you get a taste of a multi-sport event where – you're not going to an event purely for gymnastics. You can mingle with athletes from other sports. You can be in a village where you can meet Kate Campbell and kind of see people like that, that kind of, you know, you never would associate at other competitions. I mean, kind of what was that whole experience like for you at, at the Com Games in 2018? Um, I went into Comm Games not... I, I had no idea what to expect. I didn't realize that there was an, a, a Commonwealth village. I didn't realize that all sports stayed together. I didn't understand how much uniform we get. So it was such like a special moment. But I just remember four of five team members were all new to this Commonwealth Games experience. So we all got to experience it together, which was just insanely amazing. Um, and then I feel like it was like the perfect step to an Olympic Games because um, I went into the Olympics knowing, okay, there's going to be a village where we're going to be, there's a dining hall, we're all in the same place, like you get all this uniform. So mentally, I think Commonwealth Games is like the best thing you can do before an Olympics because it's a little bit smaller, so it's a little bit calmer and you can kind of soak it in a bit more and then you're ready for what's next. And I can even imagine things like, say, the media attention that, that you're getting because as big of a sport gymnastics is globally, it obviously doesn't quite hold the stature in Australia as it does in some other countries. So I can imagine then that you're not probably used to that added pressure that, say, a media interview after an event will bring by local journalists. I mean, kind of was, was that a good training aspect to it too that – you know, you're going through the mix zone after an event with it with a medal and kind of having to deal with interview requests <laughs> and hey, people wanna people wanna talk to me about this. This is this is kind of interesting. Yeah, so we won our team medal first and I remember we went to get interviewed and I was like they put me on first and I was like, Oh no, like <laughs> how was your competition? Like how do you feel after it? And I just remember I was like, Great. <laughs> and <that was> <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, like I even the lady that interviewed us said like that next medal I won and the interview I did after that was just a thousand times better than the first one. And so I definitely learned heaps um, how like to speak in an interview and stuff, which was also really great because it's something that we haven't really been taught yet. Which I think to it's that exposure, isn't it, as well? Because going back to the point about the sport, you know, not the biggest in Australia outside of maybe an Olympics or a, or a Commonwealth Games because it's great to be able to, I can imagine, not only showcase your abilities on the world stage but just pay attention to the sport because, I mean, fast-forwarding a little bit to your Tokyo experiences, that obviously is going to lead to more attention. 
And then that can lead to, say, a young girl watching you on TV or maybe she's in the crowd there on the Gold Coast and she's inspired by yourself or your teammates to kind of continue that next generation. And particularly at the moment when we're 11 years away from a home Olympics, I mean, that's kind of something for you that I must I can imagine feels special when you've got somebody who maybe says to you like, hey, Emily, I was inspired by your bronze medal win at the Commonwealth Games and now I want to be a gymnast. Yeah, look, the support at Com Games was insane, but the Olympic support was just a whole nother level. I did not realize how much people follow my journey and really care for me. Um, it was just out of this world. The amount of messages and posters and everything I received, um, I really felt the love. I, I love asking all our guests on this show who have won medals. I mean, in any competition, uh, what they do with them. I mean, do you have a display for sort of your gymnastics medals? Is there like sort of the the tiers where you've got like the Com Games and the World Cup ones sort of a little bit higher than the national ones or, or are they just in the sock drawer that inspires you every time you get a pair of socks out? You're like, cool, Commonwealth Games medal. Yep, that's my that's my start to the day. Um, they're just in my cupboard like in a box. <laughs> in a box. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Does the box get bigger though? Like the more you win, like, oh, got to go down to the reject shop, buy a bigger box now, more medals. Uh, um, no, it's like it's a decent size, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> kind of, you'll, you'll have to, when those Olympic medals come, that's all of a sudden when it sort of, it, it goes yeah. sort of bigger. <laughs> so after Com Games, after 2018, sort of in the lead up to, to Tokyo, was there anything that your coach or yourself was like, okay, we're, we're hitting our stride, we're doing well here, this is what we need to focus on? Was there kind of something that, that changed uh, in the lead up to kind of turn up the wick a little bit more for the Olympics? Yeah, definitely. So I actually had a back injury in 2019. Um, so it was a pretty rough period because it was near the end of 2019. It was around August to mid-December and our trials were in March. And so I've never actually spent over three months out of the gym completely. And that was exactly what I did. So Mentally, I was like, realistically, I don't know if this is achievable and stuff. So it was a pretty down time. Um, and then I came back and I spent three months working the hardest I could. And I actually got all my skills back. I wasn't quite the quality I wanted, but I, I made like huge progress. And then a week later, we got shut down with COVID. Wow. And I knew that it was going to be a long time out of the gym. I didn't realize how long, but I knew that I was going to have to do all this over again. And so mentally I was just exhausted. I, I didn't want to have to do it again. So during COVID, I kind of lost the, that drive or that dream for the Olympic games. Um, and it took like almost a whole year to get that back. So we started back training in like July, I think where like Melbourne opened up a bit. And so I, I was ready to finish gymnastics, but I just remember, um, I think it was my mom saying like, you can't finish on a low. You can't finish when you're not in love with this sport. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's true. Like I was like, I'll give it three months. I'll get back into the gym. I'll move my body. Um, maybe it's just because I've been out for so long. And that's exactly what it was. I remember the first session I came home and I was like, oh, my God, that was so fun. Like we got to swing on the bars and like jump on the tramp. And so that next three or four months, I just had fun in the gym. There was no 
focus on what was to come and stuff. So I think that for me was the best thing because I was able to find that love for the sport again. And I feel like it wasn't until February, like I was still trying my hardest in the gym, but February, it wasn't until that last, that February camp where I was like, no, this is what I want. And so it was like a switch um, just flipped and then it was 100% focus and giving it my absolute everything in that lead up. I wanted to leave no regrets um, and that's exactly what I did. And I remember going to nationals in May, which was the continental trial. So how I qualified for the Olympics. And I remember my mom was like, you know, how are you feeling and stuff? And I was like, good. And my mom was like, what? Like, you know, this isn't Emily. And I was like, no, <laughs> if I think about it, like I've reflected on like the last few months and I have given everything I could have and we were so particular on the finer detail if I didn't make it it wasn't because I didn't try my hardest it was just I wasn't the best on the day and that's probably the first competition I've gone into a comp with that mindset and it is the best feeling to go in and before you compete knowing you've done absolutely everything you can and so it was a pretty special moment which is it's kind of almost like a double-edged sword, that journey, because I was about to say getting injured that close and then the postponement was almost like a blessing, but then you sort of go through those mental aspects. So, I mean, that that's a very unique sort of journey to get from that injury in 2019 to ultimately that qualification in 2021. Yeah, I've learned a lot on the, along the way, that's for sure. Which... One thing I love, though, is uh, going through your Instagram, the the video that you and uh, Georgia posted, the qualifying to uh, Home Among the Gum Trees. Little little bit of fun there. Um, uh, the, the moment, though, that when you are 100%, you know, you know you're going to the Olympics. You're, you're an Olympian at that point. I mean, what what's that feeling like? And does it sort of take you back to when you were younger, when you first maybe thought that the Olympics one day could be a possibility and to realise that you've, you've realised that dream now? Um, for me, that dream or realising that dream had been achieved was definitely at the Continental Championships when I saw that my name was the num- like number one. So that meant I secured that spot. So that was like such an emotional time. Um, and then I guess so it was like all that Friday night we would I went to bed at 3 a.m. and I woke up at six and I was like yep ready to start the next day like <laughs> it was just crazy the emotions that um, come from achieving such a like a lifelong dream um, and then I guess it kind of got pushed to the side and I was like all right now the work's beginning for this Olympic journey and so you kind of forget that you made it, I guess, like it's pushed to the side. Then when we got the ticket and made that video, it was like, okay, this is real. Like no one can take this away from us now. Um, but it wasn't until we actually competed. I think straight after my beam routine, Georgia was like to me, we're officially Olympians. And in that moment, that that was the moment where like, you're like, okay, no, I have achieved this. And it's insane to look back on and realize like what we've achieved. Yeah, which, I mean, you talked before about Com Games when you get the uniforms and things like that. I mean, I always love hearing from our guests kind of just that experiences 
of of the lead up and getting to Tokyo and all that kind of stuff. I mean, getting your, getting your kit, I can imagine, is pretty exciting. Getting that Qantas ticket, you're on the flight, just being surrounded by by so many other athletes, seeing the rings everywhere you go. I mean, is it is it something that you can soak up, or are you just such in game mode that you just kind of take it in when you can, and then maybe it's after competition when you realise, okay, I can maybe soak this up a little bit more. Um, we actually got, so we arrived on the Saturday night in Tokyo and got all day Sunday to really soak in that village life, which was the best thing because there is so much happening. There's so much excitement in the village that giving us that whole day to really soak it in allowed us to then focus as much as we could, um, for like the training side of things. Which, I mean, you, you, you want to have that at least moment, don't you? You kind of want to be able to have a, a moment, like given it was such a unique games where, you know, things weren't quite how they were. Obviously, that means you can't do things like the opening ceremony and probably mingle around like you generally could at an Olympics. But I can imagine, was, was that an important part for you, though, to, to have at least that experience where you can do that so that you can leave an Olympics going, okay, well, I competed in Olympics, fantastic. Uh, but I also was able to experience all the the kind of journey aspects around an Olympic Games when you are actually there. Yeah, no, we definitely made the most of that Olympic Village and enjoying that experience. We were lucky enough to have like a few half days and even full days just in the village, and um, it just made the whole trip that much better. Like. I couldn't imagine going to the Olympics and not being able to really enjoy every moment. Like we, in the afternoons, we would find bikes and ride around the village, the amount of photos we took and stuff. It was just an insane experience. And I'm so blessed and glad that we were able to enjoy that village life. One aspect, I actually haven't asked this to any of our guests yet, but Obviously, the Olympic rings, the photo on the gram, all that kind of stuff, it's a great shot. But is it just like a daily queue for everybody to line up to get there and you've just got to wait for that perfect moment where you don't have 50 other people in the background? Because, I mean, they're great photos, but I'm always looking at them going, there's no people around. There must be a line there waiting for people to just get that perfect photo. (laughs) Yeah, no, there is a line. Um, I remember opening ceremony night, like we were like, let's go get some photos um, as a team around the rings in our uniform and stuff and it took forever and people just we ended up doing double sides so one would stand one side and then there's the rings and then another group would stand the other side just because there were so many people there um so yes you just have to pick the right time there were a few times we went and the line was too long that we were like we'll come back later we were lucky in the oz hub it was kind of near the rings so if we stepped out onto our balcony, we could see if the line was big or not. If it was small, we're like, quick, let's go down. <laughs> <laughs> run on run on down there as well. What, what, what other nations were, was the Australian hub near? Kind of like what sort of were the other athletes um, that you could sort of nearly associate with? I think there was like India, USA, Great Britain, um, Russia, like kind we of, were in a pretty good section, I, I was going to say, yeah, and it's also good for your competitors. I mean, you could be, I don't know, up at three in the morning blaring some music and be like, hey, yeah. USA, I know you guys are good, but, uh, hey, you're not sleeping tonight. We're going to beat you tomorrow. <laughs> uh, 
ever I tempted need to sleep. You need sleep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean that that might be a little uh, you know, dent in that plan potentially yeah. when it when it when it comes to that. Did you set yourself a goal going into competition? Like was there a particular position? Was it to make the all-around final? Was it make to to make an apparatus final and kind of like what were your hopes going into the competition? Yeah, um for me it was just amazing being there. Like actually achieving that position I achieved was huge so I tried not to set too much pressure on myself I think I just really wanted to go out there and enjoy that competition and that's exactly what I did um I would have loved to have made an all-round finals but I I did hit a PB so I can't be too like um disappointed that I didn't quite achieve that which at the end of the day, if you're going to hit a PB, you hit the PB at the Olympic Games, right? I mean, there's, there's no better, there's no better way to do it, is there? <laughs> yeah. Which, definitely. with such a what seemingly is an individual sport, obviously there is the team aspect to gymnastics. How how can you and Georgia kind of work off each other, and and also Tyson to an extent too? I mean, is there sort of a camaraderie? You're spurring each other on like you're giving each other advice I mean how does the team aspects of gymnastics works when maybe there's obviously only three of you there for Australia whereas other teams have obviously got more but I mean how does how does that help your performance um honestly I think this was the first trip where we've all been able to support each other so much we were all new to this experience um especially Georgia and myself, we were together 24-7. So we just bounced off each other. If, you know, she had an issue, I helped her. If I had an issue, she was helping me. The support um, and the connection between us is just insane. Um, Our friendship has just really stepped up a whole nother level. Um, So I guess, like, we were were both just so thankful and glad that the Olympic Games went ahead and that we – were actually competing in it that the rest almost didn't matter and so we just wanted to make this experience as fun and as enjoyable for each other was there any extra I guess interesting moments I mean obviously the biggest story of the Olympics really was kind of everything around Simone Biles and everything that was happening there but I mean did that add any extra elements to it like were there just throngs of reporters waiting to get inside with restrictions and everything to kind of, you know, catch a glimpse of her and kind of everything that was going on. I mean, did that add a unique flavour to the competition with everything that was happening around Simone? Um, Yeah, definitely. I think one part was like any interview any athlete did, Simone's name was always brought up. I was not going to bring her up, but I just kind of, I wanted to quickly there because I'm I'm thinking that. I'm thinking like, God, everyone's going to be asking her about Simone, but let's try and spice the question up a little bit about it. Yeah, it's totally fine. But that is something that um, I guess is different to normal. And then also like with her having to pull out, it gave other people an opportunity, right? And so I think a lot of teams definitely um, soaked up that opportunity and it was really nice to see, like, other people winning. Like, you know, Simone's amazing and I love, like, how amazing she is, but it was nice to see other people be able to enjoy that the moment that she gets. Which, go back to my point about sort of the attention that the sport gets in, in Australia, I think it... I can imagine it helps in a way to have such a global superstar in a sport like that, whereas, you know, somebody like that comes around only every certain amount of years. 
uh, it's no different to say like a Michael Phelps in swimming or an Usain Bolt in, in athletics that you, you have these athletes that really bring a spotlight and people can kind of look up to that and then go, okay, from a local level, how can I achieve that? So it, it was interesting that even on Channel 7 during the broadcast that they're having all this stuff about Simone Biles, which is like, oh, well, on that aspect, let's let's keep watching the gymnastics and let's kind of do this. So it's kind of almost like a, a domino effect that while, yes, they're focusing on her story, it kind of it brings that added attention to the sport, which uh, it maybe wouldn't necessarily get if something like that or someone like that is in the sport. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um for us, it was it was nice that Channel Seven was there and able to video or like you know promote us. Um, however, I do think the US got a lot more of a spotlight than the Oz girls, which was a little bit disappointing. I know my family was super excited to hear that they were live streaming our comp and stuff, um, but they only got to see our flaws. So which. It's yeah, that double-edged sword, isn't it? Really, when it comes down to yeah, it, when it kind yeah. of it does that. But and also, they're too busy focused showing replays of medals that happened a week before. So it's all good. Like you know, it yeah. kind of <laughs> that's kind of how it balances. You mentioned about the the messages, though. I, I mean, gosh, I I can't imagine checking your your phone and all of a sudden seeing everything that you're getting. Were were there any ones that kind of stood out for you? Some of the messages you got, any sort of inspiring stories you might have gotten from anybody who was sending you a message. Um, God, there were so many. I think for me, it was just how much people are enjoying the content George and I were putting out there. Um, I'm not a big Instagram person, but after this trip, I've definitely learned a lot and I've learned how much people actually enjoy like the videos or the behind the scene things. So it's, yeah, I, I just learned so much from this trip with Instagram and all that. Um, but the support that everyone showed was just out of this world. Like, I don't even think that there was one negative comment, which That's is fantastic. crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really good, really good. I'm, I'm actually though intrigued, though, with this kind of uh, experience you're getting. You could turn into a bit of a social influencer. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know, I mean, TikTok, things like this. I mean, are these just kind of now on the uh, the pages moving forward that, uh, you know, come Paris 2024, everyone's going to know you for your great gymnastics skills, but this amazing social media influencer as well. Um, I'm still learning, so I'm not sure. TikTok's definitely not for me. That's, (laughs) I can assure you of that. Um, but yeah, look, I hope to continue posting on Instagram and see where that goes. So we'll see. (laughs) Now I've learned, uh, not to necessarily go, Hey, how's Paris 2024 looking? Because obviously you just come back. You're kind of wanting to take your mind off everything along those lines, but in the short term for you, Emily, I mean, kind of what's the focus here? Obviously, Commonwealth Games are in this unique position where they're less than a year away. It's never usually the case after a, an Olympics. But kind of what it, what are your goals, I guess, in, in, in the short term in the in the next few years? Um, for me, it was definitely um, the next target is Com Games. But I didn't realise until I came back how much, like, your body is just exhausted from an Olympic Games so I think the first step is to just really recover from everything like I've spent like my whole life trying to achieve this goal and now that goal is achieved I need to find um I I need to allow my body the time to recover right um so that's like step one and then definitely Commonwealth Games next year is like a big goal of mine and then 
Paris 2024, like long-term, that is definitely on the cards. And I want to be part of um, helping Australia get that team spot back. So that's like the next major thing, but I just need to take it like step by step. Well, I'm just saying now, we mentioned Oksana before. She's actually 46, not 43. I mean, Brisbane... 2032 you'll you'll still be the ripe old age of 33 by then so uh quite young uh so uh i'm just saying right now um you know that's a spring chicken compared to what Oksana achieved so you got plenty in the tank surely you know home olympics that's got to spur you on uh, look i would love to do a home olympic games but i do think um for me, my body can't quite make it that far. Let's <laughs> <But laughs> get Oksana's number. See, see yeah. what her secret is. You know, what, yeah. what, what's she drinking there? Now, before we close it off with a series of uh, just fun little silly random questions, Emily, one question I want to ask you. I was reading on a website here some quick facts about yourself that uh, you've got one of your pre-competition rituals and superstitions is never washing your wristbands. Now... Tell us a little bit more about this. And do you just have some really stinky wristbands sitting around in the boxes next to those medals? <laughs> I don't keep like old, old wristbands, but I don't normally like people will wash their wristbands every like few months or whatever, just cause they get so chalky. But for me, that's like a big no, no. So my wristbands are like held together by all like the sweat and stuff <laughs> It isn't <laughs> until like I have to take my wrist because otherwise my wrist will just rip because they're that rank um but I do like I've gone through pairs I don't just wear one pair of wristbands but I just hate new ones so I I think I go through a new pair like every four years maybe <laughs> wow I was gonna say what's the longest like is there been like a lucky pair that maybe during you know 2018 or something like that you're like I'm never getting rid of these these are helping me out big time <laughs> um I don't know I just use them until they like just cannot be used anymore <laughs> <laughs> which at the Olympics end did you have like a pair that had been around for a while and now is like I'm retiring these these are my Olympic pair I, I shall not use these again I had the intention of like the pair that I wore, like, okay, they're, they're getting bad. They're not terrible, but I mean, most people would use a new pair now. So I was like, all right, after the Olympics, I'll switch to the new pair. And I wore them for like the first go on bars. Um, and I was like, no, I need my other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Don't feel right. Don't feel right. Yeah. Actually, one other question quickly. We, um, we spoke to Laura Peel, uh, aerialist, recently, and whenever we get an aerial skier on the show, it's always uh, they were a former gymnast, they got recruited, they're doing aerial skiing. Now, my question to Laura was, how come we get all this success in aerial skiing, but we can't seem to translate into gymnastics? So I'm just saying right now, Emily, should should Jackie Cooper come knocking, Lydia Lassa, like, hey, like we want you for aerials? Can you just say no so that we can actually keep a gymnast in gymnastics in this country so that we can get some – no disrespect to our aerial skiers, but I just feel like yeah. they're just stealing all the talent. So, I mean, just, just say no to aerial skiing, Emily. Yeah, no, I will be saying no. I am <laughs> I love skiing and I go – like I am actually was due to go like on Sunday to the snow, um, but unfortunately lockdowns had to change that a bit. Um, 
but I'm not the greatest at aerial awareness when it comes to like twisting so much. And so I don't think aerial skiing is quite for me. <laughs> All right. And I also, I think too, that you should get everyone in gymnastics to start going up to Brisbane to the Jeff Henke center and watching the aerial skiers and go, okay, we're recruiting them to gymnastics. Like let's, let's play the same game that they play with <laughs> you and then steal some of them. So I'm just saying it's, it's, you know, it's got to balance out somewhere in the sports, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too many stealing of gymnasts. I, I, I don't know how it's going. Um, now, we close out every interview, Emily, a series of fun questions. As we always explain, these are based on a Team Canada questionnaire which they gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. We always like to use a questionnaire based on an athlete from the same sport, and the only gymnast that they ever did on their website was for Rosie McLennan. So we're, we're, we're talking trampolining here, but it's it's – gymnastics it's, just, it's <laughs> as close as i can get i was going to do an aerial skier but i'm like no screw those guys um so <laughs> let's we love the aerial skiers please keep coming on the show um first question to you the greatest olympian of all time is simone biles simone biles great answer this is a question i always dread asking particularly our younger guests because it always makes me feel incredibly old what is the first olympics that you remember watching 2008. 2008, okay. Yeah. I thought you were going to go for London there just based on it, but no, it well, uh, doesn't make me feel quite as old with that one. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna, we can create a new one like a gymnastic superhero or something like that. Um, probably Spider-Man. Yes. Yes. Spider-Man would be great at gymnastics. Yeah. You know, I could I could see him doing that. That that would work. I like it. And, and hell, next competition, wear a Spider-Man outfit. I mean, it's it's the Lycra. It's kind of very similar, right? Like, you just need to add the mask. Yeah. Why not? Why you not? Know? Yeah, exactly. Um, what is your favourite ice, cl- ice cream flavour? Um, mint chocolate chip. Nice. Yes. Good one. I like it. Um, if you were a baseball player... What would your walk-up music be? Oh, um, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> you have can, can you have sort of, I guess, pump-up music going in the, in the locker room? Like do you and Georgia sort of share some AirPods and go, okay, this is going to get us in the zone? I mean, things like that before going out there to compete? Um, pre-comp, we often like stick to ourselves and we'll just put our own headphones in, play whatever we like. Um, I mean... I just listen to like whatever's like in the top whatever at that time. So I don't know, but do love a bit of the greatest showman. That's always ah yes. Yeah, so kind of have a bit of that. You know, this is a moment you've been waiting for. Oh, yeah. like yeah, that I that, I see that works. Like yeah. that's got to get you spurred on, right? Like, yeah. and then and then when you then you do well, you have the whole "This Is Me" song. Like, yeah, <laughs> like come on, let's let's do it that way. And there are they. They've added more lyrics to the floor routine now, right? Like it used to be very instrumental. Can you have lyrics on the floor routine now? Um, look, I'm not entirely sure, but I do think you can have like a tiny bit. Which does that help or hinder? Like, I I don't know if that would even make a difference when it comes to competing on the floor um I, I don't think it makes a difference but I do think um if you have a song that's like catchy um you kind of draw more attention to it I guess and just on that too given that 
so many when you're competing in a competition like that, like you're on the beam, there's somebody else competing on the competing on the floor. I mean, does it get distracting? Like, because particularly if there's a crowd there and all of a sudden someone's cheering like a massive routine on the floor, but you're trying to uh, compete there on on the beam or something like that, or is that part of that mental training that you really have to kind of learn how to to block that noise out when you are competing at the same time? Yeah, definitely part of the mental training. I mean, back in the gym, we'll do some where, like, there's always someone, another group in the gym. So, you know, if they're on floor and I'm on beam, like, their floor music's playing. So it's kind of like normal. I think for me it's uh, different if there's no music playing and I'm on the beam. So I guess we'll just play around with um, a bit of both just to try and prepare for whatever's to come. I'm intrigued for this one. What is the best nickname you have ever been called? <laughs> um, I mean, my nickname's M. Okay. But um, for a long time, one of my coaches called me Anemone. Yeah. Just because <laughs> I don't know. She couldn't quite say Emily, so that's just how it came out. I can't even say Anemone. An- I can't even say that word. Like, how yeah. can you not say Emily? Wow. Jeez. That's skills. I like that. <laughs> yeah. um, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Um, I I can't see myself not being an athlete. Like, to me, if I wasn't in gymnastics, I'd be in like running or some something. Like, I I'm such an active person. So 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 post gymnastics, really- maybe aerial skiing does come calling. <laughs> <laughs> Just, just, yeah, yeah, okay, we're, we're trying to steer away from that. Um, what is your guilty pleasure snack? Um, I, 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 would, I don't know, like, I don't look at food as, like, guilty pleasure, but, like, a junk food snack mm. would maybe be, like, a raspberry white chalk muffin. Oh, Yes. Or an apple crumble. That nice. Like I love Which apple crumble. Are you allowed to have during those, you know, days at the gym or are you kind of very restricted on what you can and can't eat? No, it's definitely um, like, um, I, I don't know, you just eat to fill your body and you don't restrict yourself from anything. So, um yeah, I, I don't know. I always allow myself like a treat, not every day, but like at least like maybe twice a week, um, I'll have something delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it just depends really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Person best at the Olympics, no. you're allowed to treat yourself to something good in the village, right? Like you can just eye off that place that you weren't eating at beforehand. And, okay, person best at the Olympics, I'm going crazy, right? Just yeah, yeah. Fill, my, fill, my, <laughs> fill my tray up. Um, what is your favourite sports movie? Oh, uh, no, I don't know, like, names. Um, I was thinking the cliché gymnastics answer of stick it, but I, I don't know how well regarded that is in the oh, gymnastics community. I mean, I do love stick it just because I, like, I know it is my sport, but um, I can't think of the name of another movie. We can come back to it if it hits you, if it comes back there, yeah. things like that. The other one I used to love watching was Make It or Break It. Again, is that sort of one of these ones that is sort of frowned upon in the in the gymnastics because it's like sort of a bit of a fictionalised version of gymnastics? Or it's like, hey, we've got a TV show about gymnastics. We should love this. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I'm not really sure. Like, I have watched it and it is funny how, like, unrealistic, like, parts of it can be, so... Yeah, yeah, that's always the uh, the kicker, isn't it? When they sort of bring that attention to it. Um, what speaking of TV shows, what is the most recent TV show that you binge watched? Um, well, at the moment we're watching The Arrangement on Channel right. Nine. Yep. Um, and Out of Banks, obviously. Nice. Yeah, okay. I watched that in um. Quarantine. I was going to say, quarantine's kind of that perfect time, right, where you just get to a point. It's like, yeah, let's just let's just watch a bunch of stuff, right? Like, kind of go along those ways. Um, where is your favorite place in the world to compete? Um, probably. Um, somewhere in Europe, like anywhere in Europe. I've done a few comps um out that way, so. I know it's just such an it's so different to like the typical Australia America like atmosphere um so yeah perfect I like it final one for you here today Emily what is your biggest fear in life big deep question to end the uh the questionnaire on living with regret like you because you can't change that right like mm. uh, yeah I, I want no regret in life <laughs> I like it. That's an inspirational message there to close it out on. Emily, we mentioned your Instagram, social media. Where can people follow you? Where can people stay up to date with uh, what you're up to and see some great, you know, upcoming videos, which we know that you're going to be filming? <laughs> um, definitely my Instagram is one that I'll continue uh, using. I don't really use any other social media that much. So so where, what's the handle? Just search for Emily Whitehead or? Um, it's Emily underscore Whitehead underscore. Perfect. There it is. Emily, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you today to learn more about your career, the Olympics, gymnastics, everything along those lines. And, yes, to give you that warning of just uh, stay away from those pesky aerial skiers who <laughs> keep coming and stealing all the uh, the gymnasts from all the gyms in Australia. Emily, pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Massive thanks there to Emily for her time. A lot of fun, and it kind of just makes me want to watch Stick It and Make It or Break It again. It's been a while since I've watched those, and uh, it'd be fun to watch those shows with a gymnast, just as Emily said there, to kind of pinpoint the unrealistic nature of those sports. So uh, maybe that's one thing we can do in the future. We can get uh, sports movie commentary by actual athletes on this show. That would be a fun little project to do one time. But again, Emily, thank you so much for your time. It is a pleasure to chat with you. Now, our next episode, I can uh, gladly say is a big one. It is our 150th episode. We're going to be celebrating all the last 49 episodes and everything else in between. Of course, we do this every 50 episodes, kind of add a bit of a clip show to the fray. And given that we are in the midst of a great run of interviews, you know there's going to be some highlights from all of the interviews that we've had recently. And, of course, all of the highlights from the Tokyo Olympics. Remember those? They uh, seem like a world away now. But uh, we have highlights clips from every single day we've got commentary packages we've got everything it's going to be a long episode but it's going to be a fun episode too so perhaps if this is maybe the first episode you've listened to you haven't caught up on any of our past interviews and episodes that were done it's a perfect starting point a clip show for you to listen to bits that were 
funny, at least in our eyes, from the last 49 episodes. And if you like what you hear in the next episode, you can, of course, go back and listen to our 100th and our 50th episode in which we do a similar thing. We play clips from the uh, previous 49 or so episodes that preceded to that. So that will be our next episode, episode 150, the best of Off the Podium, part three. And then we'll be back into the swing of interviews, plenty of big names coming your way as we get winter, we get summer, we get everything else in between. Non-athletes as well, sort of speaking to some behind-the-scenes people as well, keeping it all very fascinating on this show. And as always, if there's anybody you'd like us to track down, anybody out there that you would like us to try and get on the show, shoot us a message on social media, search her off the podium on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we'd also like to hear any other ideas. Maybe you've got an idea for a, a show theme or a subject you'd like us to cover in a special episode or anything along those lines. We're always open to ideas on those platforms. And, of course, subscribe to the show. We're on all the podcast platforms out there. Search for Off The Podium. Leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. And we appreciate all the support that uh, we get out there. We love it. And we're going to keep on bringing you these episodes. And we hope you stay tuned and keep on listening to the show. Big thanks again to Emily. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. And we'll speak to you next time. Good night. Turning Japanese up, they come turning Japanese.